For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Uh, I don't know that Brian needs any introduction. Uh, Brian Taylor's on our board and is formerly work leader and has been at Ancient Dragon for a while. And uh, thank you for speaking today, Brian. Well, thank you uh, for the invitation. Um, I don't. I don't want to because of my background. I don't always want to be the guy who who, who talks about. Um, religion analog analogs and and Zen, but last time I did talk about um, a an ancient monastic form of um, prayer known as Lexio Divina, and, and we discussed ways in which, as uh, Zen practitioners, we engage with ancient texts more deeply than just reading through them, and, and I suggested looking at that analog of. Uh, Lexio Divina as a uh, as one way of thinking about it, uh, and tonight I want to follow up with another similar talk um, that has to do with Zen analogs to uh, traditional forms of prayer, different kinds of uh, of prayer that have been used through the century by theistic religions, and I'm speaking out of the Christian tradition. Um, and those, those, there are seven of them, and so I'm just going to sort of breeze through them. It, I won't take that very long with any of them, but um, I think it, it's first useful to ask ourselves what it is that uh, we are doing in prayer or meditation or anything that I might be talking about tonight. In theistic religions, um, in some way or another, prayer is a relationship with God. It is... Um, one being to another being. So there's this relational aspect, and one other either gets feels close or feels distant or whatever. Even in contemplative prayer, there is um, a relational aspect of seeking union that perhaps does not yet exist. In Buddhism, and particularly in Zen, you don't have that kind of um, separate being. Uh, and there's no sense of separation. And I'm going to say a little bit more at the very end of, about that in, in Zen terms, but it's important in any religious tradition to look at that religion on its own terms and and not um, be looking at it as a, through a lens of a, of a different tradition, but to see it on its own terms. Um, and yet we can hold them together sort of in parallel and ask, are there areas of overlap? And I, and I think one of the ways in which we can look at um, the subject that I'm going to be talking about tonight is in terms of uh, practices that we do, um, different ways of responding to life, to our circumstances, to our feelings, to other people's needs, to the needs of the world, uh, different ways in which we respond to what's going on. Um, it, it's, I don't think it's enough to simply say, well, just sit down and be silent, and that's it. 
I mean, we, we feel things and we, we have needs and we, uh, we have different, different ways of responding to life circumstances. And that's really what, that's one way of looking at, at prayer and some of the things I'm going to be talking about as analogs in, in Zen. The first form of, of prayer that is talked about traditionally is what's called adoration. And, and while popularly speaking, you know, we think of the word adored, you know, like, I, I just adore you, baby, you know, um, as this kind of outpouring of love. And it may be that, but traditionally, in the, especially in the contemplative tradition, uh, it's really simple presence. Um, it's it's the, the most well-known in Roman Catholic circles is the Chapel of Adoration, where the idea is that you go into this room where there's the reserved sacrament, which is believed to be the, the physical body and blood of Christ in the room with the candle that's lit there, and one sits in silence just in presence. And that's all it is. And people go and sit in silence uh, in, in the Chapel of Adoration. Obviously, there's an analog to shikantaza in terms of just just presence, um, being present. And in shikantaza, it's it's we talk a lot about it, a, a form of um, being present without a goal, uh, without an aim in mind. But at the same time, what seems to happen as we do it over time is that we we move uh, beyond the the small-mindedness of uh, our daily concerns and the things that we're worried about and the things that occupy uh, our attachments and aversions and our reactions to life. And we, we sort of open that up. And uh, in that simple presence, there is a sense of, uh, a, a bigger sense of self. Um, Shunryu Suzuki used the term big mind. Frequently, it's it's referred to in, in so many different ways in, in the Zen tradition, all the way back you know, to, through through Chan, Chinese uh, forms of Zen, where where it's talked about as uh, universal mind or original mind or um, Buddha nature. Um, it, it's that sense that we are not limited to the usual way we think about ourselves as we go through the day. That there is there is a sense in which we are we are uh, we are the open sky, you know. We, we are we are everything at once, um, manifesting itself, and, and we are a, a part of that overall being. And, and in Shikantaza, we we open ourselves to that bigger reality, and that you know you could call it adoration if you wanted to, but it's a sense of of uh, presence. Sometimes it's a feeling, and sometimes it's just a recognition. Uh, it doesn't have to be a feeling. The second form of, of traditional um, prayer is uh, praise. And when we think of praise, often we're, you know, we picture charismatic or Pentecostal uh, services with, with people with their arms up in the air and uh, smiling and singing uh, familiar songs. Um, but you can also think of praise, if you're thinking about worship, in a, a more, a different kind of environment, say a Eastern Orthodox uh, liturgy or a Roman Catholic high church liturgy with lots of incense and vestments and 
candles and chants and this sense of awe um, that is created uh, through the atmosphere uh, of that those kinds of worship. But praise is also, um, in, in our everyday life, just the um, sense of wonder. The, the, one of the reasons I, I chose the chant of the guidepost for silent illumination is this uh, wonderful way that Hongja has of, of, of talking about wonder. Um, one of the traditional Christian words for that is glory. Um, that, 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 the, that the world is full of wonder. And, and as somebody said yesterday morning, the, the world is its own magic. And I think in Zen, more than perhaps other traditions, there is a kind of insistence that our response of wonder or praise, to use a Christian term, is not limited to beautiful sunsets. It, it, is, it is a sense of wonder in the opening up of everyday life that could be something as, as simple as seeing somebody, a stranger, walking down the street and suddenly the sense of, of humanity and life and death kind of comes over us. And, and that sense that um, this is beautiful, this is wondrous, uh, is, is, is a form of praise. Um, and, um, and in Zen, you know, there's, there's lots of ways in which that's expressed. Of course, with, I think of Zen poetry, there's so much beautiful nature poetry um, and, and other art forms, uh, calligraphy, paintings, that are often um, expressing wonder and uh, impermanence together or, or wonder at the beauty of life even as it is passing away. And, and one of the classic examples of that is that is the cherry blossoms that uh, are, are starting to fall. And perhaps they're at their most beautiful when they're not only open, but starting to fall. And you know that it, uh, it soon will be passed. And so this, this ephemerality that, that conjures a sense of, of praise or appreciation. And, and I think that it's, it's even possible to apply this sense of wonder or praise to, to suffering um, and, and times in which um, there's just a feeling of awe. I, I, um, I've spent a fair amount of time in previous years in hospital rooms in, in pretty serious situations. And um, that sense of wonder or even praise uh, can come over me just in terms of this is life and this is real and this has depth and integrity and a kind of beauty on its own and, and the way in which people respond to each other in that environment um, is beautiful. Um, the third form of praise that is, is traditional is thanksgiving. And, you know, you can think about that very much like praise in terms of it's, it's a response to wonder. Um, and often, uh, not just religious people, but all, all sorts of people, think of Thanksgiving for particular things they call blessings. And, and you know, you, 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 can, you can picture the people accepting a, a Grammy Award and what they say, <laughs> thanking 
thanking God for all these blessings, which include now vast riches for having hit records, and um, or or a Thanksgiving dinner where people name, you know, family and health and and um, shelter and things that they're grateful for, and Thanksgiving does include that, um, but gratitude. Um, can, just like uh, wonder and praise, uh, include things that don't fit those kinds of categories. Uh, Gratitude, especially in a Zen uh, setting, is a way of responding to whatever it is, to to life as it presents itself, Um, even inconveniences or, or serious illnesses. Uh, to look at it as there is something in this here that I want to pay attention to and, and honor. And, and that's a kind of gratitude uh, for what is happening in this sense. Not, not, oh, I'm so glad this is going on, but, but really uh, a kind of grateful heart that we bring to any circumstance uh, in order to be friends with it, uh, to befriend uh, even difficulty, um, and and I, I think gratitude and friendship are very closely related um, in this way for, for just the privilege of being alive, uh, having a human life, uh, giving thanks for our breath and, and just being on this planet. So the, the, the fourth form of prayer uh, that is traditional is penitence. And, um, you know, if you didn't grow up in a tradition where there was uh, public confession or private confession to a priest in the confessional booth, you've seen it in the movies. Um, and it, the way it's portrayed in the often the way it's practiced is uh, admitting that you did something wrong fairly recently or thought something wrong <laughs> fairly recently and you're admitting it. And there may be some guilt involved and even some, some shame. Um, Repentance um, in the in the um, biblical language, in the for, at least for the New Testament, is a Greek word that is metanoia, which means to turn, and to repent is, is to turn, and so it is it is to acknowledge perhaps that we are um, on a harmful pathway, and we are turning onto a a helpful pathway, and I think this sense, which is very ancient in, in theistic religions, is perhaps at the heart of uh, a Zen sense of repentance as well as a turning towards uh, Buddha, a, a turning towards um, our vows, a turning back towards uh, true self, towards uh, Buddha nature. And um uh, you know, we just did the repentance verse. We do it every time we gather together uh, for service. And in, in doing so, we may or may not be thinking of anything specific. And it, we may have something on our mind that we're sorry for. But most of the time, at least for me, it's more a sense that I'm acknowledging that, um, yes, I am a conditioned being. And uh, I, I came into this world conditioned, and I, I picked up more conditioning uh, by the, the world around me. And yet, at some point, as adults, we take responsibility, and, and we say, I, I take responsibility for my ancient twisted karma. And I'm, I'm acknowledging that, and, 
and turning towards um, the way, the way that is life-giving. There's another way in which um, zazan is particularly for me a kind of turning, uh, if you will, of repentance, in the sense that uh, you know that Thomas Keating, the, the great Trappist monk who died a number of years ago, who promoted within uh, Christianity uh, a form of contemplative prayer he called centering prayer, um, used to talk about how in silent meditation, if it's like shikantaza, objectless, if it's simple presence, um, it's like turning on the floodlights inside your house. Um, and, you know, you may not like everything you see. It's because, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't really want to look too closely in this room with bright lights on. God knows what we see. It's an old rug, and it's, you know, there, I don't know, there may be bugs. I, there are all kinds of things, cracks in the walls. And it's like that, how we see ourselves when we sit in silence in Zazen. It's, it, especially in the first few years of Zazen, it can be kind of humiliating um, to see how our brain insists on functioning in the way that it, it has been conditioned to function over the years and how how insistent it is that it that it uh, not be liberated um, it's it's it, it, it is a real turning it's turning towards that self that is conditioned but it is also at the same time as I said earlier about adoration it is turning towards a bigger self that is not limited to our conditioned self, that, that is good in nature already, and experiencing that by opening. And so it's a, it's a dual turning, turning towards the conditioned self, turning towards the greater self, that is um, a, a form of, of repentance, if you will. The fifth form of prayer is oblation. And this word is not so much known in, outside of religious traditions, but it means uh, self-offering. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, in, in the uh, liturgical tradition for many years, the most powerful form of oblation was um, in the Eucharist, what is called the offertory, where you get up out of your seat and you go up to the altar and you receive uh, communion. And it's, it's both receiving something, but it's also giving, giving oneself to a greater life uh, on behalf of uh, uh, the world. And uh, it's, it's this offering of self at the same time that you're um, offering other gifts, uh, such as money and bread and wine and so forth. In a bigger sense, self-offering is the offering of our what is called our life and labor. Um, and this ties into, um, in the Eightfold Path, I've always been struck by the... Um, the one in the Eightfold Path that is right livelihood, um, which is not interpreted in different ways, but I've always thought of it as um, asking ourselves, what am I doing with my talent and my hard work in my job? What am, what am I doing? And how is that affecting the world around me? Um, what kind of atmosphere do I create with the people I, I work with? What, how is, is this helpful to people? Am I doing things through this work that, that they're harmful? Am, am I engaged in a business that is a harmful business? Or am I involved in engaged in a business that is actually serving the greater good? 
it's not that everybody has to become a social worker. It's that we, we look at uh, where we spend so much of our time uh, as, as a self-offering. And what is it we're offering and what effect is it having? So self-offering uh, is, in, is in life. It's also something that we uh, can do again in, in Zazen is simply here I am and I'm, you know, we sit upright and we sit exposed and open and our shoulders uh, back and our chest open, uh, looking straight ahead as, as if in the mirror and, and saying to ourselves and to the world, here I am, I'm, I'm making this oblation, this self-offering here and now. And, and, and the other thing, of course, in ritual that's so powerful for me is, is the uh, bowing that we do. Of We're not just bowing and touching our forehead to the floor in an act of humility. We're lifting our hands, which to me is an expression of self-offering. And so we, we go down like this and, and, and lift. It's like it, it is, to me, it's, it's pure oblation, pure self-offering. Um, that, that our, our time, our money, our talents, everything is uh, is in some way or another, hopefully, in service of the greater good. Um, the last two are are really um, uh, prayer for uh, others and prayer for self, and that's what we usually think of when, when people talk about prayer. This the sixth one being intercession, interceding for other people and for situations in the world. And it may be asking for healing or for peace or for um, something else, or for those in positions of power to have wisdom. Um, one of the places in Zen that I, I think I've, I've seen um, one of the most helpful things about this kind of uh, holding others and the world around us in a devotional sense is in Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, phrase of interbeing, that um, we are a web of being, and there is individuality and personhood, and that is uh, a part of all being, and there is no separation. And, and I've often felt that if, if I'm concerned about someone or a, a situation in the world, and, it's, it, and I'm holding it, uh, in a kind of devotional way, it's almost as if I've opened a, a portal, you know, to interbeing. And by opening that portal, something is extended in both directions. It's, it's um, in, in the, the chant that we just used, uh, there was the phrase, extending our luminous mirror wisdom. There's an extension going into all being and, and all being extending into us, and, and something happens when we do that, that changes us and, and potentially changes the other or changes the situation in ways we can't measure. You know, we, we talk about sitting in Zazen with all beings, um, that they are sitting with us and we are sitting with them and, and they support us in our practice. Um, and I think that's true when we bring to mind people or situations that that we are connecting with in, in this way. And the last form of prayer is, is what often people, most often think of as, as 
as prayer, is, which is petition uh, for one's own needs. And that is, you know, like making petition that something or other may happen. And often it's, it's, it's asking for something in particular. In, in Zen, we usually don't ask for something in particular. It's, it's a kind of um, sitting or being without a goal in mind. Um, and, and yet, you know, if, if something's going on in our lives, if we're having a hard time, especially, um, we are sitting in that. Um, we're sitting in that state uh, with vulnerability, with a sense of self-offering, and we are, um, there's, there's a way in which, even if we're not using words, we are asking for help. Um, and again, because we are part of inner being, um, there is response. Um, and, and it, you know, Zen is great, and it, it doesn't nail that down at all. It doesn't try to define that. It's very skeptical about trying to talk about these sorts of things. And I feel like I'm walking on thin ice even bringing up the subject. But there is something of mutuality in this oneness that is, here I am, or the situation I'm concerned about, and my, or my needs, and I'm in that. And as I hold it forth... I'm, I'm extending self into the larger self, and there's some kind of response that happens in that action. Um, and so in that vein, I want to close with a, a poem that um, I, I play with. Um, I play with what I call collage poems, where I, I put together phrases from a teacher's Dharma talks in ways that create a poem that makes sense to me. And for some reason, uh, Dainan Katagiri in particular uh, wrote or spoke a lot, I should say, about the, the, the kind of thing that I've been talking about the last few minutes. Uh, and so I, this is the poem that I put together uh, of, of some of his phrases. In the deepest reaches of human life, there is a vague, disconsolate pain, a silent lamentation. Facing it is a kind of impasse where we cannot move an inch. There is nothing to say or do about it, only to sit down and touch it and wait. Finally, we say, please, please make me simple. Please make me free. When this happens, the one who is calling upon something is simultaneously what one is looking for. Our presence and the presence of the universe are exactly in the same place. It is like a mother hen and her baby chick. The chick taps its shell from the inside, and the hen taps the shell from the outside. Walk! The baby chick is born. Or we can say that something sneaks in, invading our life, just like spring water, coming up from the ground, making us more alive. So... Um, that's enough talking for now. For me, I would love to hear your responses and questions or things that it brings up for you because I talk about these things.
Well, since no one else is saying anything, uh, that mutuality you're talking about, I think, is very important. And uh, Dogen and others and people talk about that, that our responses and our actions, there's a, a response back. And, and it's, it, as you were saying, it's very ephemeral. We don't necessarily know the effects of our actions and thoughts and speech and, and thoughts even. Um, but something happens. And also something comes back. And so uh, sometimes we can notice that. <laughs> sometimes yeah. we have a sense of that. Sometimes we maybe we just have faith that we are connected. Yeah. Anyway, just that part about mutuality, I think, is important. Well, and I think the, the healthy thing about leading it vague is that um, it's we, we avoid the quid pro quo yes. approach, uh, where we end up feeling disappointed or whatever if it doesn't happen the way we thought it was going to or should or something, and simply trusting that there is a connection and that if I make this need if I if I you know express this need or this feeling or whatever it is there is there is uh, there is a connection or, or maybe a resonance a resonance yeah yeah. Um, yeah the quid pro quo kind of way of thinking about it is sort of makes it into a business transaction exactly exactly <laughs> and somewhere Dogen says that when someone gives you an offering gifts you to say thank you is to is to uh and to express that gratitude thanks for that is in a way denigrating it mm. it's just oh here it is mm -hmm. anyway. it's uh interesting trying to talk about practice to other people in my life who are not at all familiar with Zen and Buddhism, like most Americans, yeah. <laughs> uh, who come from strong Judeo-Christian backgrounds, and the ways in which there are kind of parallels, there are kind of not parallels, yeah. how, do you, how do you talk about it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm working towards Jukai currently, what is that? Is that baptism? No. Is it confirmation? Not really. Like what and and how do you find a common language to give other people sort of a sense of what in the world it is that I'm doing with you know my free time? Um, so I anyway, this is this is to say that I found the parallels and lack of parallels with prayer interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think not only when we're talking with other people, but when we're thinking of two traditions together, maybe in our own experience, uh, it's very tempting to to go towards uh, either melding the two in a way that doesn't really make it doesn't honor either one, or saying they have nothing to do with each other. You know? And it, we're usually in a gray area where there's some overlap, and yet it isn't exactly necessarily what the other thinks it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that people 
uh, a lot of people will assume that we worship Buddha. Right. Um, and maybe conversely, maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum, I find people will say that Buddhism is not a religion because it's not theistic. Right. Um, and therefore, it's a philosophy or something that's not a religion. I don't, I don't know. So it's interesting uh, hearing how people respond to that. It's interesting seeing what emotions that makes me feel, how they respond to it, and then trying to figure out how to yeah, come to a, a common language that, as you said, does both service. Well, and one of the ways I've tried to do that at the beginning here tonight is to, is to talk about these, these experiences as different ways of responding to life and life circumstances, which is true for, you know, Zen devotional practices, like as I try to describe them, as much as it is for prayer. It's, we're still responding to life circumstances and our own circumstances in various ways. Thank you for your talk. Um, I've never really thought about it before, but the, the part about intercession, I when, when I know people who are in trouble, I will often sit sort of with them. Yeah. And the vagueness is there because I don't really ask for anything for them. Almost because I'm afraid to, you know, it's that, you know, be careful what you ask for you to get it, you know. Who knows what they actually need or, or what they, what's really going on with them. But somehow, and when I've done it, there's a couple instances where I've done it for like a week for certain people who are really And I think it helps. I don't exactly know how, but it's it's almost just calling up their presence. Yeah. And just sitting with them. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it's helpful to. I mean, I, I, I will frequently say to somebody who's in having troubles or whatever, you know, I'll be with you. And I am. You know? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the differences maybe have to do with the significant differences of the two cultures that these practices are from in terms of individuality and individual, you know, yeah. needs and expressing them as compared to more collective. What also comes to mind in, in that same vein is the difference between the, the East and West in terms of, uh, I mean, in general, generalizing here, but in terms of, um, goal-oriented, um, linear thinking and a more accepting yeah. all of this at once sort of experience. That has profoundly affected the, the Western side. Mm -hmm. Anybody online there want to pipe in, pipe up? Hi. Uh, very, very good talk. Um, I was... Um, baptized into the, into the Roman Catholic Church and um, didn't have much say in the matter. My grandfather was a church organist and my mother taught at the parochial school. So um, 
I was I was bum rushed in, all right. Um, and you know, the, we were we were taught a great deal about prayer from the um, um, Sisters of Mercy standpoint, so called. And then uh, when I became left school, became an adult, I realized I was alcoholic and, and entered twelve step programs, and they told us told us to pray. Um, but it's, it's always, it was always sort of a, a punitive thing. You know, when you go to confession, uh, the priest says, Oh, you've done wrong. Say for our fathers, you know, that it was like, uh, uh, you know, punishment. So, um, so I, I have to say, I don't, I don't pray except petition prayers. Uh, the, what AA calls foxholes for prayers, which to me is kind of cheating. I don't really. <laughs> I uh, think those I think of those as really real prayers, but meditation I like. Now, if I pray for something, um, I, I'm 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 kind of presuming that the deity uh, d- doesn't know me or doesn't know what my problems are. And if 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 that's being the case, then God's not doing her job, you know. So I don't I don't think in in those. In, I, I don't find much use in, in prayer, um, narrowly defined. I like meditation. I like meditation, though, because it's, instead of telling God what to do or what I'd like to have done, I just open myself up and I, I wait for inspiration, which uh, um, sometimes comes, sometimes doesn't, uh, usually comes in ways I don't expect. So, um, and I'm, I'm very, I'm glad to hear more even-handed uh, definition of, of, uh, different types of, of prayer, which I've forgotten your name, sir. Um, Brian. Brian, of course. Um, more even had a definition of the different types of, of prayer. So that, that would, that, that helped me, uh, a great deal to sort out, uh, my ancient twisted, you know what. Uh, thank you. If I may, Jim, uh, in the introduction, I may, maybe you didn't know that Brian is also an Episcopal uh, priest or minister and has served as such actively. So he has a lot of knowledge of how the two traditions interact. So I really, Brian, thank you very much. Really very rich t- talk. One thing that just came up for me, and we do have, we should stop. That's a little over time. But you were talking about uh Worshipping Buddha, or somebody was talking about not worshipping Buddha. Yes. Yeah, and just as 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 that as you said that, it occurred to me that it, maybe it's that Buddha worships us. Buddha worships us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's a little story I meant to tell about adoration that reminds me of what you just said, and that is an old story of uh, a um, an Orthodox monk who is walking through the church and sees. Uh, some poor old man uh, smiling and just sitting there for the longest time. And he says, finally, he goes up and he says, what, what are you doing? And he said, uh, I smile at God, God smiles at me, and we're happy. 